So it is good to gather with you all. As usual, on the back of your notes page, I have a couple of favorites for you, some books that are on my bookshelf that I want to recommend to you. Doing Good is Simple by Chris Marlowe, who's the founder of Help One Now. What a powerful story. He had, um, he was a pastor who ended up in Zimbabwe and had an encounter with some orphans who the, he refused to care for them. And it, shet, it just changed the tra trajectory of his life. And um, wow, if you haven't heard of Help One Now, they're doing amazing things, so I encourage you to read that. It's a short, easy read. Doing good is simple. Then Lost Women of the Bible by Carolyn Custis James. If you are wanting to learn more about um, the women of the Bible and understanding what it was really like for them and learning about their culture, um, she's just a great scholar, and I highly recommend that. And then... I found a wonderful chapter entitled Trusting in Timothy Keller's Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And who does he talk about in that chapter? But Joseph. So um, wonderful. And then a few hymns that I would love to recommend to you as well. So as we begin this morning, review. Okay, do you remember way back at the beginning? What are the three things that Rhonda taught us that we would be seeing and remembering about God as we, we learn Joseph's story. To remember, God is what? With you. God is, it's another W, working. And God is trustworthy. And we've been learning about how his plans and purposes always prevail. And that his plans are not just for you, but for they're the world as well. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. We've been learning about waiting on him and doing so patiently and confidently. And we are women who are not to be ruled by our emotions and our circumstances. We are to be practicing contentment, gratitude, and forgiveness. And ultimately, if the main thing that we're learning, we're learning more about who our God is and that he is overflowing with grace and faithfulness. I want to begin by sharing a quote this morning as we're looking at Joseph's story. I didn't apply for this job, it's the title of our lesson. This is a quote from Chris Marlowe's book, Doing Good is Simple, that I, I can't get it out of my mind, so I want to share it with you. He says, I was so bu busy building my dreams that I ignored the dreams God had for me. My life was consumed by pursuing my version of the American dream, creating a culture of safety a place where I did not have to trust God for anything. I am so challenged by this. And as we look today at two brothers, Judah and Joseph, and see what kind of impact the culture that they're living in has on them, we must say, oh, this applies to us today, and ask ourselves the question as we look at Judah and Joseph. Am I being impacted by the culture around me, or 
Am I instead blessing the culture around me and the people around me? So we're seeing today, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. And the family of promise that is supposed to be a blessing is wrecked by jealousy and callousness and violence and deceit. And then we have this, what seems to be, odd interruption in Joseph's story. It's as if it's a cliffhanger. Joseph has been sold, and we know that he is enslaved, enslaved in Potiphar's house. And then there's this huge transition to the story, the shocking story of Judah and Tamar. And I would say that this story is much more than an interruption in Joseph's story. It's revealing to us that God's grace abounds and he is faithful to work in the midst of broken people. Now, I, I don't know. Have you ever heard anyone say to you, oh, the Bible's boring. Well, they have not read Genesis chapter 38. And I think, oh my, can I read this text in church? I, I don't know that I want to. So I'm going to paraphrase much of it for you. <laughs> you can read it in your groups. <laughs> so we see, we, we know that Judah was the one that had the idea, and then his brothers went along with him about selling his brother, Joseph, into slavery. And then... Afterwards, he's watching his father day after day, grieving over Joseph, his favorite son. And so, I guess he just can't take it anymore. And he chooses to leave his family, the family of promise, and he moves to Canaan. There he befriends a Canaanite named Hira and marries a Canaanite woman. He lives with the Canaanites, and he acts like a Canaanite. His sons are wicked. He's walked away from God. He's lost. He is the black sheep of the family. But God has not given up on Judah. His failure with Tamar will bring Judah to a great turning point in his life. So we, it's interesting to note in verse 5 of chapter 38 that the setting is a town in Canaan called Chezeb. And the meaning of that word is deception. So once again, we are seeing how this theme of deception is woven through um, this family. And it's the, it's the perfect spot for what continues we find Tamar, a woman with no power. Judah took her as a wife for his firstborn, Er. Judah and her father likely arranged this marriage. And my goodness, we don't know the details, but Er is so wicked that God puts him to death. And then we find the what is, what is um, to take place next is that Judah is mindful of the Leveret law. Um, it's an ancient law. Lever actually means husband's brother. And we've talked about the fact that the priority in ancient times was for the continuing the family line by producing an heir. 
And we find that with this law. The brother would marry the deceased brother's wife. And the widow and brother would honor the deceased by giving him an heir. You find this actually later on given in the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10. But it's interesting. And, and um, records have been found of an ancient Hittite law, and it's law number 193. It reads like this. If a man has a wife and the man dies, his brother shall take his widow as his wife. If the brother dies, his father shall take her. When afterwards his father dies, the father's brother shall take the woman. So according to ancient law, then Judah was, was supposed to take in Tamar and provide an heir through her. Now we know that Ur who, er who died was the firstborn. His heir would inherit the position of family leadership and the double portion, right? Onan, Judah's second-born son, wanted the position of firstborn for himself, so he prevented the conception of a child. He's selfish. He uses Tamar for his own pleasure, and he's grasping for wealth and a position that God hasn't given to him. God puts him to death as well. And here is Tamar. She's been widowed twice over. She is a, a widow during that time, was a woman without legal, economic, or social status. She would have no home. Um, and Judah will not give her Shula, his third son. And he sends her back to her father's household. But because of... Um, She'd already been given in marriage and a dowry had been exchanged. Her father wouldn't have been obligated to, to support her. Tamar, just like Ruth, who will come in later generations, she needs a kinsman redeemer. But no Boaz comes to care for her. She will deceive Judah into fulfilling the Leveret law and providing her with a child. And lo and behold, she'll end up with twins. So we're, we must look at Judah. He is the powerful patriarch who has walked away from God and his life is in this downward spiral of sin. And in his very worst moment, he engages Tamar as a prostitute, unknowing, not knowing that it is his daughter-in-law. This is his rock bottom. And the language that is used to describe his behavior, he saw and took and went in. This is the language for sin, just like Eve saw and took in Genesis 3, 6, when she ate the fruit. Judah is presented as the antithesis of Joseph, who will just in the next chapter run from Potiphar's wife, right? But we're seeing the pattern of deception continue in Genesis 37, Jacob had been deceived by Judah and his brothers when they sold Joseph into slavery. And then they had presented Jacob with the coat, with Joseph's coat, and said, is this your son's coat? And then what will happen here is Judah is deceived by Tamar. She will send his seal and cord and staff. 
and saying, whoever own, or the, is the owner of these items, this is the one who has fathered my children, it's, has made me become pregnant. So Judah, who had deceived, is now deceived. It's interesting to note the signet and cord. Um, it would have been like a necklace. And this seal would have been worn by a prominent man. And he would use it as an imprint to sign important documents. And his staff would have had markings on it, which would have clearly identified it as his. So in this time, this would the staff would be like his driver's license, and the signet and cord would be like his credit card. So when these items are brought out, this is Judah's wake-up call. And I would say to you, keep your eye on Judah throughout the rest of Joseph's story because God has not finished with him yet. He is going to work in him greatly, and he's going to be transformed. We must also look in Genesis 38, verses 24 to 26. Three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said this, she is more righteous than I. Some versions put it this way. She is righteous, not I, since it, I did not give her to my son Sheila, and he did not know her again. Tamar is called righteous. It's right there in our Bibles. She is a... is pictured here in contrast to Judah's wicked sons. She was fighting for the promised family line. She was a woman with no power who fought back against a very powerful man, Judah, the family patriarch. And lo and behold, once again, generations later, in Ruth 4.12, Tamar's name is included in the wedding blessing of Ruth and Boaz. And in 1 Samuel 13, 1, 10 generations later, King David names his daughter after her. She is called righteous. And then by God's grace, Judah will be blessed. In Genesis 49:10, we read, and this is Jacob blessing him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Judah's tribe will produce King David, and then, generations to come, King Jesus. Judah and Tamar are included in God's family tree, the genealogy of Christ given in Matthew's Gospel.
Now, I'm sorry I'm not great at taking pictures or putting them into PowerPoints, but this is kind of a glimpse of a tree that's right in the center of my backyard. And as I've been thinking about this line of promise and the grace that God had from the beginning to plan for Jesus to die on a tree so that we could be grafted into God's family tree. I just can't help but look at that tree and think, oh, it is just a picture of God's grace to us. And so I would encourage you in the coming weeks and even today when you head out, we're going to see the leaves on the trees. We're seeing them change, aren't they? Aren't we? Will you be reminded when you look at the trees of this story and how God weaves broken people into his family tree? And it's all by his grace. Nothing that we deserve. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture that Judah and Tamar are included in the family tree. Just last night, I met a gal by the name of Marianne who's been working in her company for 25 years. And she said to me very clearly, God placed me there and he's blessed my work there. And you know what her company is known for and her, the priority that she has at her work? It's hiring people who are coming out of jail. And her company is known for having the most in all of the state. And she says, I make it my goal to give them dignity and respect and a second chance. And I know that if I had grown up in the same setting that these underprivileged people had, that I could be, would have ended up in prison just like they would, they have. So I want to challenge you today. When you see people at their worst, give them grace. And always remember how God reached out to you with his grace when you were at your worst. And we have to remember this truth as well when we look at Judah and Tamar. God works in spite of us. And we cannot ruin God's good purposes for us. We can count on him to be gracious and faithful. Let's move on then back into Joseph's story with Genesis 39, verses 1 to 6, and let's read it together. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. 
So we're seeing here our God of covenant being faithful to the promises that he gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He said that he would bless them and bless others through them. And it's so amazing to see. We know because we have the whole story, right? That even though Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery, God is at work. He has a plan and he's going to fulfill it. Now I wonder, we don't, we don't know. We don't have any of Joseph's words. We don't have any of his prayers. But I wonder if he was sitting in Potiphar's house and working in his house and thinking, what happened to the dream? But we can know that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord had promised Joseph's forefathers, I will be with you. And he was continuing to be faithful to that promise to Joseph, even in Egypt. And it was the Lord who made Joseph successful. Just as God blessed Laban's household because of Jacob, God blesses Potiphar's household because of Joseph. And I would say that Joseph is in God's leadership training school. Joseph is having the opportunity to be faithful and little in little things. And he's being prepared to have authority and leadership over much more. He's, he's learning how to run the household. But God is preparing him for bigger jobs. It's interesting. In the dreams that God gave to him, his brothers were pictured bowing down to him. And yet here, rather than being raised up, Joseph is brought to a lowly place, place of service. And he would become a great leader through learning how to be a good servant. So, what happens, ladies, when it, we end up in a place where it seems as if the dreams have been forgotten? How will you respond when your life doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. I would encourage you to trust in God's character. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the ever faithful one, the one that we can always count on. He is good and just and mighty and gracious. Timothy Keller challenges me when he says this. Worry is believing that God will not get it right. And bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. When it seems like God is hiding and you can't see what he's doing, will you count on him to be who he is? Count on him to live up to his name. Derek Kidner describes this section in the story as presenting God's quiet control and the man of faith's quiet victory. God's quiet control and the man of faith's quiet victory. 
when God seems quiet in your life, will you have a strong but quiet faith in him? Remember that he is with you, and he never forgets who he is. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. He has, doesn't ever fall off his throne. He will not leave you high and dry. And his love is bigger than all of our sin. His grace abounds to us. Another challenge when you are in a place where you don't want to be. I would challenge you to surrender. Stop fighting to have it your way. Learn from Judah and his sons. And don't let the theme song of your life be like the old Burger King ad. Have it your way. <laughs> that song, it's all going through our head, right? I won't, I won't sing it for you. <laughs> we, like I said, we don't have a lot of details here about Joseph. But it doesn't look to me as if he's stomping around Potiphar's house arguing with God. He doesn't seem to be um, having a pity party. And once again, Timothy Keller challenges me here when he says, Anything that comes into your life is something that, as painful as it is, you need in some way. And anything you pray for that does not come from God, even if you are sure that you can't live without it, you do not really need. Will we let God be in charge of our lives? And give him control. The next challenge is to rest in God's sovereign care. God's sovereignty could simply be defined that he can and will do what he pleases. He is in control. He isn't the one on the throne. What he plans will prevail. But what is so beautiful about our God, because he is, a, he is complete in every way, is he not is not only sovereign but he's gracious he reigns with grace there's a river of grace that's flowing from his throne for those who are in Christ a few scriptures here for you today Isaiah 49 46 9 and 10 here, Isaac is proclaiming to God's people who are in exile because of their sin and who are thinking that God has forgotten them and his promises to them. Isaiah says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all that I purpose. And then David, the shepherd boy who was told that he would become king, who spent years of his life in hiding from Saul, who was trying to kill him. From Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. Some versions say gracious there. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. 
God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. I love this idea of taking refuge in the shadow of the wings of God. The wings are a symbol of his protection and care. He is the faithful God who hovers over and watches over his people. And then another challenge. Trust in the Lord and do good. Good. I've been going back through my notes. We've been going through so much material in our study, haven't we? And um, I found um, at one point early on, I think it was in the intro lesson, where Rhonda said this, Joseph didn't know the whole story. He lived it one day at a time. He had to wake up each day in Potiphar's house and say, okay, (laughs) I'm going to be a good servant today. This is where God has me. I'm going to honor him here. This is a challenge for us, ladies. We're in the middle of our story. Right? I want to encourage you to be practicing, um, to memorize and practice that acronym that Rhonda gave to us. Wait. It's in your notes there. Be looking to God's word. We need to fill our minds and hearts with the truths of God and who he is when we're waiting. The A is act in obedience. Ladies, it does us no good if we are just studying God's word and if we don't follow where he leads. The I is intimate prayer, pouring your heart out to God, looking to him thanking him and praising him in the midst of it all. And then T, trust. That seems to be the overriding theme for me in this study, is trust. Just on Sunday in Pastor Jeff's sermon, he was teaching on Genesis 3, the fall. And he said, sin begins when we distrust God. So I would encourage you, as you wait, as you're in a place where you don't want to be, to trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land of befriend faithfulness. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. When it seems as if the dreams for your life have been forgotten, trust God. Honor him in all that you do, big and small. Just a little personal story here. Probably for about the last year and a half, I've been praying that God would show me the next step he has for me. I finished graduate school a year ago last summer. And what happened was when I graduated, people were so kind to me, and that was wonderful. But the question always came after they congratulated me for finishing was, well, what are you going to do now? And that was exactly what I was talking to God about. Well, come on, God, what are you going to do now? What do you have for me next? 
I thought that maybe I would really grow up by the age of 50 and move on from being a homemaker and a volunteer to becoming employed somewhere. I thought maybe there would be a big change in store. And yet, what the Lord has been teaching me as I've been waiting on him is that I need to be faithful in small things. That I need to get up each day and try to love my family as best I can. Imperfect people, as we all are, living in the same room. <coughs> and that I just need to love the person that God puts in front of me today. And I have to trust that he's preparing me for something. And you know what? He gets to choose where he's going to place me and how he's going to use me. And I need to be thankful because it's by the grace of God that he could use messy me in any way, shape, or form to be a blessing to someone. So I just want to finish with this quote by Erwin Lutzer that I heard from him on the radio just the other day. He says, when you are in a trial and God seems silent, remember that a teacher is always silent during a test. Okay? We have to be okay with not knowing, with knowing everything that God is doing. We have to trust that he's with us and he's working and we can always count on him. We have to know that we know that we know that God is working out his plans for you and he's working out his plans for the world. So ladies, I will challenge you. Don't make it all about you and your dreams and your security and your comfort. Do your job of being a blessing and a faithful ambassador of Christ right where God places you. Because can you believe it, ladies? We are it. We are God's plan for his kingdom to be expanded in this world. So I will finish with this question. God wants to work in and through you to reveal himself to those who are watching. There are people around you who need to know your God. So the question is, when life gets hard, who will you reveal him to be? Thanks, ladies. Have a good morning. Thank you.